0: Aren't you thankful for God's faithfulness this morning? Remain standing with me. Grab your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning, the book of James. We'll be reading James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, as Pastor Bruce continues in the sermon series through James. In the text today, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 on presumptuous planning. James, real faith for real life. So, if you will follow along, if you need a Bible, there's a Pew Bible right in front of you. You can grab that and follow along as I read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness that we've sung about so much this morning. Help us to be changed by your word. And uh, and and live for you, especially in this week and month of, of Thanksgiving, that we would be grateful and thankful uh, for all that you do and all that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as it has already been alluded to, the holidays are upon us.
1: Thanksgiving is this Thursday. It is a holiday that I'm sure most of you are looking forward to and have made plans for, I mean, after all, who doesn't enjoy eating some turkey, watching lots of football, and even spending time with family and friends. And with Christmas, believe it or not, only five weeks away, we're now making plans for celebrating Christmas and then ringing in the new year, and next year, plans will be made as well. Some people will make plans for graduation. Some will make plans for a summer vacation. Some of you might even make plans for a home renovation. Others will make wedding plans. Some of you may even make retirement plans. Some people will need to make surgery plans, like a, a knee replacement, for example. Others will even have to make funeral plans for the death of a loved one. Now, this morning, I fully understand. I realize that some of you here are planners, and some are not. You're the non-planners of the world. And for you that are the planners, you like to look at the calendar on your phone, and you want to know what's coming, not just days in advance, but weeks and months in advance. You're, in fact, you're like the mom who sets up a play dates for the kids. You're like the dad who plans vacations down to the minute. And let's be honest. If you're like me, you're the ones who get annoyed with all the non-planners in your life, and you think they're so irresponsible. How can they not plan anything in life? And the non-planners, well, they just don't care what you think about them. They just delight in their spontaneity and their flexibility in life, and their freefulness to do anything they want at when they want. And so, this morning, whether you are a planner, whether you're a non-planner, James comes to all of us here once again and he deals with some real-life issues, like planning, and he does so from the perspective of real faith. As we have seen throughout this letter, James is very, very much concerned with our faith in Jesus Christ and how it impacts our everyday life. In fact, this particular section of verses here in James chapter 4 that we're looking at is one of the most practical that James has to say in all of his letter when it comes to making plans. Now, in context, this whole section we're looking at in chapter 4 is focused on still coming out of this need for humility that he began to talk about earlier in chapter 4. And so now he's broadening that out, this need for humility in several areas of our lives. James is warning us against what we might call these, these sins of arrogance of ours or, or these attitudes that contradict humility. And we saw last Sunday already that this first uh, sin or this first attitude that contradicts humility is this, the sin of arrogant speaking. We looked at that last Sunday. Today, the second one we're going to see is this the sin of of presumptuous planning. Next Sunday, we will look at the third one, which is the sin of greedy living. In essence, what James is doing here in this section of verses is he's really challenging us as Christ followers. And he's challenging us to evaluate our lives in light of these areas of our lives, these practical everyday areas such as as a Christ follower, does, does your life reflect the speech of a humble person? Does, does your life reflect the s- schedule even of a humble person, which we'll look at today. And the next Sunday, he's asking us to evaluate, does your life reflect the spending of a humble person? Why? Because of this need for humility that understands we are dependent on God for everything. And so let's begin to look and dive into James' warning here when it comes to making plans. As we already alluded to, this is the second warning, and it is against the sin of presumptuous planning that ignores God for selfish ambitions. Now, right from the beginning, we need to understand exactly what James is is confronting here, what he's rebuking here, and what he's not rebuking. Because by the way he starts here in verse 13, we, we might walk away here and, and think to ourselves that, that it's wrong to make plans. We might even think that it's wrong to do business. We, in fact, we might even go so far as to think that it's wrong to make a profit in our business. And we would be mistaken to think that. We know James cannot be saying that because all of those things appear elsewhere in Scripture, as as very noble things, as very good things. For example, you can go back to the book of Proverbs there in 21, verse 5, and it says, The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. And so planning in and of itself isn't bad. It, It isn't wrong. Or take the woman who fears the Lord in Proverbs 31. And there in that chapter, in verse 24, it says that, that she makes and sells linen garments. She she delivers belts to the merchants. And so we see here that that doing business isn't wrong in and of itself, and it's also not wrong to make a, a profit of your business, whatever that might be. And so the problem then that James is confronting is not planning in and of itself, but rather planning in such a way that it ignores God For selfish ambitions. In other words, James is warning us about the sin of of prideful planning, of, of what we are calling presumptuous planning. And there are actually two mistakes here that James identifies for us. The mistakes of presumptuous planning. Look at this with me. The first mistake is this planning the future without God. That's the first mistake we make. Look how James begins again in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say. This idea, when James says, come now, it's the idea of listen up, pay attention. I'm I'm speaking to you. Listen up, come now. And specifically, he's targeting these people, these, these traveling merchants in James' day. And he's saying, come now, you who say. In other words, you who, who say you're going to do this and this and that, and his tone is very direct, it's very confrontational. James is describing people who now are speaking presumptuously about what they are going to do in life. And you might have noticed it's, it's rather self-centered and even self-sufficient. What exactly were these people saying? Well, notice James tells us here in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So then, in James' day, and even now in our day, this is the familiar language of everyday planning. Listen, the details may differ a little bit, but the mentality is still much the same. Plans like these, uh, they are the norm. Such planning is, is actually unavoidable in our world today. I mean... Our schedules need to be synced between our own devices. They need to be synced even between those between our family and in our family. And yet, in all of this busyness of our lives and all of this planning that we do, there is a grave danger here that James is identifying. And that is that, that we here, as Christ fathers, that we that we would adopt an attitude that is ungodly. In fact, what is even arrogant, as we will see in a moment. In this attitude, James says, it first shows up in how we talk. And so once again, James is reminding us, as he has already in this letter, that how you talk matters. Because how we talk reveals our hearts. And so notice this in your notes. Presumptuous planning shows up in how you talk about yourself as well as your future, without any reference or regard for God. Notice how these people, they just kind of assume that they are somehow in control of their lives and their futures as they plan. Notice it again. It says they they plan when they will actually go. It says today or tomorrow we will go. They, They plan where they will go. We will go into such and such a town. They plan how long they will be there. We will spend a year there, it says. They plan what they will do when they get there. It says we're going to trade. They, actually, they, they also plan what they will accomplish. We will make a profit. Now, again, in and of itself, none of these things are wrong. They, they have all their plans laid out, but one thing is missing. In fact, it's not a thing. It's a who. It's a rather important who. Who is missing in their plans, and and that is God, God himself, the almighty creator, the one who was sovereign over all of our lives is missing here in verse 13. The problem is that their plans that are made in their mind and spoken with their lips is done so without any reference to God. These people were self-managing their lives without God. That's nothing more than practical atheism. It's just practical atheism. And just think about with me for a moment here the foolishness of this, the, the folly of planning without any reference to God, without any regard for, for God. James says such planning is presumptuous. In other words, it is, it is arrogant, and he says so in several ways. Let me just identify this for you a little bit. First of all, it presumes that we will live as long as we please, and that's how most people, especially in the Western World of ours, Western culture of ours, that is how we live. That is our mentality. I'm just going to live as long as I please. I can go today or I can go tomorrow into such a town and spend a year there or two years there or do whatever. What's going to stop me? Who's going to stop me? It also presumes that we can make whatever plans we please. Or I can go into this town and I can trade. Or I might do this. I might do this for a living. I can go to school and get this degree, get this job, and make this much money and buy that house, have this family. i got it all laid out. It's all in my mind. Maybe not written out, but these are my plans. These are my hopes and dreams. And I'm going to succeed at them. It also presumes that we have the capacity to succeed as we please. We can trade. We can make a profit. After all, we have the capacity to accomplish whatever we plan to make. It's all within my ability to do this. How arrogant of us to make such plans without any reference to God, without any regard for God. How foolish to make plans without taking into account the sovereignty of God, and that our lives and our plans are in his hands, ultimately, and not ours. And so this first mistake of planning the future without God, it obviously, inevitably, it leads to a second mistake. Here, see it for yourself. Presuming to know about tomorrow. Presuming to know about tomorrow. Notice what James writes here in verse 14. He says, yet, in other words, you think you can make plans as you please without God, but yet, yet, yet in verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In fact, some translations even go so far as to say you don't even know what your life will bring. And so James is reminding us here of our ignorance as human beings and in particular, our ignorance about the future. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 14. He says, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. How true that is. We think we can plan a year in advance and come and go as we please, but we don't even know what tomorrow might bring. That's the point James is making, and this is the problem with presumptuous planning. Notice this in your notes. We have no sure knowledge. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. And so James is putting his finger on a very uncomfortable truth for us, especially us here in our Western culture, and that is we do not know what the future holds. We have no idea. Sam Alberry in his commentary on the book of James, puts it this way. As Christians... We know where we will be in a million years. That is in God's hands, and he's told us about it. But we do not know what will happen tomorrow. That is in God's hands, but he hasn't told us about it. We're in the dark. And so these people, these, these traveling merchants in James Day who claimed to be Christ's followers, they were, they were part of the audience that James is writing to. They were part of the church there. These people in James Day, they, they were planning to do something in the coming year in order to make money when the reality is that they didn't even know if they were going to see tomorrow. They did not have that guarantee. These people were acting like their plans were certain. They were living in arrogance instead of of humbly acknowledging that they have no guarantee of tomorrow or even their life. And in all of this, James, in his logic, he begins to show us there's, in particular, two errors when we presume about tomorrow. Notice this, the first error. What happens is in our presumption, we fail to factor in the uncertainty of life. We like to know, or at least we like to think we know, what will happen tomorrow next month and perhaps even next year but in reality we do not know what will happen tomorrow or even in the rest of this day do we not i mean how many of us know what will happen when you drive home today anybody know for sure no none of us do Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Listen, God forbid, we pray that this would not happen, but driving home, you could be in a car accident. It might be minor. It could be pretty severe to where there is a loss of life. We just don't know, do we? The uncertainties of life are are endless, And yet we make plans without giving any thought of the uncertainties of life. We we plan to go to this college and get this degree and get this job. We plan on getting married and having a family. We plan on buying a house and having a dog. We plan to retire at a certain age and living a good, long, happy life. And then our plans get messed up. Your husband's diagnosed with cancer. A drunk runs a red light and hits your daughter's car, leaving her severely injured. Your job gets downsized and you're let go. The contract on the house of your dreams falls through, and we could go on and on and on with all the uncertainties of life. I mean, remember the pandemic? Did that not remind us of all this? Did that not clue us in a little bit? How many plans were changed because of COVID? In my own family, I ha- we had a wedding turned upside down and a graduation turned upside down, all because of COVID. These plans were made, and they were blown up. Had to make new plans. And even those new plans were uncertain. Why? Because we're not in control of those things. So on one level, we understand this. We even recognize this. But on another level, this is something we would rather not think about because it reminds us, after all, that we, me, I, us here, we're not in control, are we? But we tend to plan our lives as if we are in control. And perhaps that's why our default view is that once we plan something We think it will just happen. But James here he's throwing a cup of hot water, I should say cold water, in our faces, and that is we don't know what will happen. None of us do, and we need to factor that reality into our view of the future. And so that's the first error we make of presuming about tomorrow is we fail to factor in the uncertainties of life. And the second error is this. We felt to factor in the brevity of life. Look what James says now in the rest of verse 14. He says, what is your life? Now, that's a great question. James loves to ask questions of, as we have seen so far through the book of James. He's, he's always throwing out questions for us to ponder and questions that James asked that are meant to for us to stop, stop us in our tracks, cause us to think, really think hard about what he's asking about. And here the question is, what is your life? And we have all these ideas of what our life is. But James zeroes in. He cuts through all the muddiness and the fogginess of it, and he sums up, here's the answer. Here is your life. Notice his answer. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Mist, a vapor. I don't know what you think. What image comes to your mind when you hear mist or vapor? In my mind, I, you know, you think you could think of a teapot on an oven, and uh, the steam coming out of the teapot, and you see the steam, and then within five seconds, the vapor is gone. You might, the image might come to your mind. You're at the lake early morning, it's a little cool out, and there's a fog that kind of rolls over the lake, but in a very short amount of time, as the sun comes up, it burns it off, and it's gone, vanishes. If someone was to write a biography for you, what would you think the title of your biography should be? Well, here's James' title for the book that sums up your life. It's a one word title Mist. Vapor, if you don't like the title Mist. Take, take your choice. And the tagline of your biography on the cover page would be this appeared for a little time and then vanished mist or vapor, of all the things that James could have wrote, this is what sums up our lives. We are here for a little while, and then we are gone. You guys are younger over here. You think your life is so grand and ahead of you, and there's a lot of truth to that, but yet we don't know how short life will be. Others of us are on the end of our life. And we have maybe a little better understanding how fast it has gone by. We might call this vapor theology. Vapor theology. Vapor theology reminds us that, that, that life is short and death is certain. And the Bible frequently reminds us of this fact. For example, Job chapter 9, verse 25 says, My days are swifter than a runner, they flee away. Psalm 144, 4 says, Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. 1 Peter 1, 24 says, All flesh is like grass, the grass withers, and the flower falls. James is reminding us here, and he's doing so very graciously for us, that life is short, death is certain, And it is rather arrogant on our part to pretend otherwise. It's presumptuous, in other words, to live your life as if it's going to last forever here on this earth. It is is prideful to live as if you determine your days instead of acknowledging that the days you have left here are actually in God's hands. And since life consists of uncertainty... Since our life is characterized by brevity, James is calling us and he's saying to you, listen, it calls now for humility on our part. And so instead of, of living presumptuously without God, without factoring him into our lives and plans, James is calling us here to live once again humbly before the Lord. What does that look like? How do we do this? How do we begin to put that into practice? Let me show you three ways here. Number one, remember your ignorance about the future. Listen, we need to wake up every morning and just remind ourselves, I'm ignorant about today and the future. I'm not saying you're ignorant about what, what, about the theology or God is, is in control, but but we're ignorant about having such a certainty about what's going to happen. And so James is saying, listen, as Christ followers, don't be like these people who say without any reference to God in verse 13, today or tomorrow, man, we're going to go into such and such a town. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to trade, and we're going to make a profit. Why? Because according to verse 14, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And as Christians, again, may I remind us, we know where we are going to be in a million years from now. Amen? We know that. Hallelujah. We're going to be in the presence of God Almighty, in his glory, worshiping at the throne of God. That's our destiny as Christ followers. And we know where we're going to be in a million years from now, but we do not know what will happen tomorrow. And so the first step in living humbly before God is simply to remember our ignorance about the future. Number two is to repent of our arrogance of presumption. Look what James writes now in verse 16. And again, he's rather rather clear here. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. You see, the boaster has an arrogant view of the future and even of themselves. They forget God's sovereignty over their lives, and, and they, they don't take any account of God's will and their plans. In other words, the boaster here, in this context what James is writing about, the boaster here leaves God out in the equation of their life. You see, they love making plans without God in mind. They love making money without a Godward focus. And James says all such boasting is what? He says it's evil or sinful. One commentator on the book of James, he writes, and I quote, This sin of presumption involves taking into our hands the reins of planning and command. It involves seeing life itself as a, as a continuing right for self rather than as a daily mercy from God. James is identifying for us here the, very, the root of the sin of presumption. And as again, as we've talked about, when James confronts a problem, he doesn't just deal on the surface with that problem. He always attacks the root of it. And that's what he's doing here for us again in verse 16. Notice this. The root problem of presumptuous planning is pride. And the expression of that pride is boasting. And so what James is doing, he is linking the godless planning that we read about in verse 13, and he's tying it to verse 16 as boasting. That's that's fascinating to me. Because what these people said in verse 13 does not necessarily fit our traditional view or how we think about boasting, does it? I mean, we tend to think of boasting as as bragging. In, In particular, you're bragging about yourself. You're bragging about your accomplishments But James now is expanding our definition of boasting here. And he's saying that in this context, boasting actually includes arrogance in planning without God or presuming to even know about the future, about tomorrow. In other words, boasting here is talking and it's planning as if God is not essential to everything we are doing in life. James says, that's boasting, that's arrogance, it's prideful. And he says, this kind of boasting, listen, this is the air we breathe in our culture today. It's it's the absence of God in our talking and in our planning and ultimately in our living. Again, if I might quote Sam Alberry in his book, Commentary on James, he says this, Planning can so easily be little more than arrogant hot air. We strut and we swagger as if we really were something significant. For all our profession of Christian faith, once the calendars come out, it is as if God is no longer there. When it comes to planning, we can so quickly become atheists. Our planning revolves around us Our self-important agendas are uppermost in our thinking. And it's this godless planning, it's this godless talking, this godless living that we need to repent of. That's what James is calling us to here in verse 16. He's saying, listen, as you evaluate your lives in this area of planning, if you see in the mirror of God's word here yourself, repent of it. It's arrogant, it's presumptuous to do any kind of planning and talking as if we are the center of that and if we can do it apart from God. And James is calling us here to simply repent. There's a humbleness to that, is there not? And then number three, in this humility, recognize your dependence on the Lord. Now again, let me just be clear, James is not against planning but he is warning us here against planning that does not acknowledge the Lord's sovereign overruling of our lives. Listen, the the humble response here is to plan in a way that recognizes our dependence on the Lord and to remember that, that we are not in ultimate control of our lives and that all of our plans are subject to God's will. Listen, God alone is sovereign. We are not. Our attitude is to be shaped by this reality. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so what James is reminding us here is, I am not the master of my fate. I am not the captain of my soul. I do not determine my destiny. I am like a fleeting mist or vapor. I am here for a little while and then gone. So it is in my best interest, our best interest, especially as Christ followers, to recognize our dependence on the Lord. You say, well, how do I know I'm doing that? Does it show up on your iPhone, on your calendar? Does it show up in your planning? You say, well, what does this look like? What does it mean to live humbly before God? Well, it means two things that James shows us here. It shows up in our attitude and in our actions. Notice this, first of all, living humbly before God is an attitude. It's an attitude that says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Look what James writes in verse 15. Go back to verse 15 and look what he says. He says something rather interesting. He says, instead you ought to say. Now that's in contrast and comparison to verse 13. Remember verse 13, James starts out and he says, come now, you who say. And these people were saying presumptuously what they were going to do. And now James, in contrast and comparison to that, says, instead, here's how you ought to talk. Here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. Now, it would be easy to treat this as some kind of superstitious tagline, mindlessly repeating, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills to every statement about what we're planning to do in our lives. But this is far more than a tagline to be mindlessly repeated, nor nor is this an expression of fatalism that just excuses us from taking responsibility for our actions. Rather, what James is saying here is he is pointing us to an attitude, to a, a perspective on life that reveals our humility and reveals our dependence on the Lord. As as one commentator writes, he says, to be sure, the word, if the Lord wills, it can be a protective superstition. But they can also be the sweetest and most comfortable reassurances to a humble and trustful spirit, if the Lord wills. James says specifically that there are two things that we are dependent on God for utterly dependent on God for here. One, how long we will live, and two, what we will do. He says, if the Lord wills, we will what? Live. And if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. It's like that old saying that's been used so much, it's become a, become a cliché. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It might be a cliche, but it's still true. You see, the only thing that we can count on is the Lord. He never changes. His promises never fail. He'll never forsake us. His steadfast love and faithfulness endure forever. And again, this does not mean that we need to say out loud every time if the Lord wills. Listen, the point is to have an attitude that says I need the grace of God in my life. I am dependent on the mercy of God and the will of God in every facet of my life. One way to put this attitude into practice is to do what a Stephen Davey, who was a pastor and author, what he says to do in an article that I came across. He says we need to plan in pencil. Plan and pencil. And he writes, and I quote what he says here, I'm all for making plans, but we need to write our plans in pencil and have our erasers close by. And then he gives several reasons why in the article, I'll just share quickly with you three of them. He says, number one, planning in pencil forces you to hold your agenda lightly. In other words, to hold your dreams, your desires, your, your plans lightly. Have you ever tried to force or manipulate a situation to accomplish your goals? Your agenda seemed right to you. It made perfect sense as you thought it through. You prayed about it, but your plans were thwarted. It's unwise to try and pry open doors that God has closed. Making your plans in pencil forces you to keep a loose grip on your personal agenda, he says. Number two. Second reason why we need to plan a pencil is because planning and pencil reminds you that God's eraser is sovereign." He says, "The reality is that you really don't know how your life is going to turn out. Have you ever thought that if you were just a bit more spiritually minded, you'd be more aware what was going to happen next? That's not the case. Making your plans in pencil instills the attitude that God is ultimately in control. And then number three, plan in pencil and trust your future to God's revision. He says, sometimes when we make plans, we're tempted to put our trust in those plans. That's misguided, he writes. Our trust and confidence must remain in God. God may allow your plans to be accomplished or he may revise them. Either way, trust him. Making your plans in pencil reminds you to confidently trust that God will work all things out for your good and his glory. And then he concludes with a series of questions. He asks, how do you approach your planning for the future? Whether it's choosing a college, a move to a different company, or a relocation to a different house, are your plans in pencil? Are you open and ready for God to pause, modify, or erase your plans? Or do you try to rewrite your plans with permanent markers? As if they are your plans and not God's. Listen, instead of planning the future without God, as if it all depended on you, living humbly before God, it's an attitude that simply says, if the Lord wills, We will live, and if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But most of all, also, it's not just an attitude. It is an action by us as Christ followers. Notice this. It's an action that follows through on doing God's will today. James' conclusion, he wraps all this up in verse 17. He concludes with this. So, Some of your Bible translations may even say, therefore, therefore, or so, look at it, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is often referred to as sins of omission. In other words, we can sin by doing something that we shouldn't do, but we can also sin by not doing something we should do or we are called to do by God. In other words, the the Christian life is not just avoiding what God forbids, which is what we tend to focus on, but it's also doing what God commands. And that that is really crucial when it comes to our planning and our living, because if we're planning our lives in such a way that we don't do the very things that God has asked us to do, then James is calling us out in sin. The application is rather clear. In other words, what James is saying here is that our planning, our living must revolve around what God tells us to do or not do in Scripture. For Scripture is God's revealed will for our lives. In this reality, it affects more than just how we plan. This this needs to shape what we plan. In other words, the content of our plans. Does it include God? Doesn't include God's will. Doesn't include kingdom priorities, in other words. The content of our plans needs to reflect, yes, the sovereign rule of God, but it also needs to reflect His good and perfect will for our lives. And all of that is revealed in Scripture. This means that the the 24 hours in our day are not mine to use as I please. God has given me 24 hours each day and I am to use these hours as He would want me to for His glory and not my own boasting. The plans I make for tomorrow or next week or even next year need to reflect this kingdom reality. Therefore, don't just say, Lord willing, James is pleading with us, urging us at the conclusion here, do what you know the Lord wants you to do. And therefore, to say at that point, oh, my schedule is full, is sin. James says here in verse 17. In other words, to not make time, to not clear space in our calendars for the right thing. Some of your translation says even the good thing. In other words, in context, it is the very will of God as revealed in His Scripture and not to do that, that we know to do, James is calling it out of sin. We might think of it this way if, if we are so busy with our own plans And those plans can be filled with, listen, things that we need to do in life just to survive, if you will, like our plans for a job, our plans of just upkeeping the house, our plans for this. But if our lives are are so busy with our plans that we don't have time in our lives, we don't have space in our calendars to do God's will, to, to be part of his kingdom priorities, That's a problem. James says that's sin. Because we know these things. They've been revealed to us in Scripture. We know them, and yet we don't do them. We're not a part of them. We haven't made them the priority of our lives. What's become the priority are our plans, In fact, in context, James even highlights that the the ultimate priority of those in verse 13 was what? It was to make money. That's what they devoted all their time to. Again, is money wrong in and of itself? No, we're going to find that out next Sunday. But when it becomes the ultimate priority, where it consumes our lives and our calendars, there's a problem. That's what James is calling out here. James is reminding us that it's foolish to spend our days simply living for self. No wonder God comes to us in our our self-centered and self-sufficient culture in which we live. And he asks us a simple question, yet very heart-penetrating question. What is your life? And in the words of John Piper, don't waste it because it is like a vapor. It's here for a little time, and then it vanishes away. And then God reminds us of this. There's a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. He was a missionary in Africa, and he wrote a poem titled, Only One Life. There are several verses in that poem. You can Google it. I challenge you to do so and read the entirety of the poem. Let me just quote one verse. He says, Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ Will last. Here's the most important principle when it comes to planning in God's will. Faithfully obey what you know to do. For only what's done for Christ will last. With your heads bowed, Heavenly Father, thank you. For your truth, once again, through your servant, James. So practical, so relevant. And so help us to see ourselves in the mirror of your word. Help us to see our lives and our plans accurately in light of this truth, Lord. Let us remember just how ignorant we are about the future. And Father, would you forgive us for our arrogance in making plans without consideration of your will for our lives, your kingdom priorities for our lives. And may we recognize our humble dependence on you as we live out your will for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.